He had everything. He had the skill, the punch, and he had the trash talk. From he was like he took over where Muhammad Ali took off, took you know took over, and he was just awesome. I remember him speeding around. I didn't know anything about boxing, but I thought he was cool, and I remember watching it. But I had never heard of this. The other day I was watching Thirty for Thirty on ESPN, and Sugar Ray's name came up with Roberto Duran. I was like, what is this? And I watched it, and I was amazed. You know, if you look at the top 20 boxers of all time, Sugar Ray and Roberto Duran, the guy he was fighting, are in the top 20, number 20 and number 19. And they fight. And in round eight, with all these rounds left to go, Duran says, no mas, no more, I give up. What? In big matches like this, this has never happened, ever. You see, while Sugar Ray was probably the most complete boxer, Durant was the most feared boxer. He was called the stone. He didn't do all the fancy stuff. He didn't have the strategy, but he stood toe-to-toe with you, and people feared him. And in the eighth round, because he's getting embarrassed, he says, no mas, no more. I give up. Who does that? But that's exactly where some of you are. You see, here's this boxer who had all this power, who had all this reputation, who people feared. He had only lost one bout. It was early on. No one wanted to box him. And he gives up. You see, Jesus has given you power and authority. You are powerful just like that. But for some of you, life is squeezing you and you've given up and said, no mas. You've just said, that's it. You've said no more. You see, Satan would want nothing more for you or this church to be those kind of Christians who say, I give up. No, God. Oh, I believe in Jesus, but no. Let's just call it what it is, unbelief. You see, so many of us say, oh, I believe in Jesus, but you're not in the fight. You don't understand the authority and power that Jesus has given you. You believe in Jesus, but you don't believe Jesus. Do you know the difference? I'm not just trying to mess around with semantics. There's a difference. Let's just call this what it is, unbelief. But we justify it. We get hurt in a small group. We get hurt in leadership. Something happens and we say, no, God, I'm not doing it anymore. And we justify it so much, we're okay saying no to God. But let's call it what it is unbelief when the world is squeezing on you what do you do do you have a belief that grows stronger or a belief that runs away that says no more I give up no mas you see I believe that God has some amazing things that he wants to do in your life I know it because his word says it does And that he does. That he has amazing things for you to experience. But so often when the pressure is on, we say, nope. Sorry. No mas. If it doesn't come easy, or if it doesn't drop in our laps, if it doesn't turn out how we expected, we give up. Instead of saying, no, I'll press on. You see, it's in those moments that we bail out, that we sit on the sidelines, 
that we don't understand that lives around us are dying, that people are going to hell, that people are not growing in their faith because you said no, because you didn't have a heart of a servant. You see, you either have a static and stunted kind of faith or you have a dynamic, growing faith. You see, belief and faith, they're kind of interlocked. When you believe Jesus, you have a faith that moves mountains. Nothing is impossible for you. Jesus said that. You see, faith is sort of the legs to belief. It's active. It takes risk. It puts it all on the line. It puts its faith in the faithfulness of God. Is that your kind of faith? Because this is pretty important. Because you know what the word says? It says the righteous will live by faith. It says we walk by faith, not by sight. In Hebrews it says it is impossible to please God without faith. And that's where some of you are. And you don't realize it. You don't realize you've given up in the fight. You're in that eighth round and you say, I can't do it. I'm getting embarrassed. And you've given up. But Jesus has given you power and authority. No weapon form shall prosper against you. What kind of faith do you have? But when we meet resistance and that flicker of light dies out because we never tapped into his power, we give way to the fear of failure and start saying no to God. But a dynamic growing faith when met with resistance only fans the flames. The fire doesn't die. It gets bigger and stronger and more passionate because it relies on the Lord's strength and on the Lord's power. It taps into his power and authority that he's given you. You are his sons and daughters, but you live like beggars. Faith puts legs to belief. Believe Jesus. Don't just believe in Jesus. It's a faith that when it's pressed by the world, it presses into Jesus. We can't be safe anymore. You can't be safe anymore. You can't sit on the sidelines anymore. We have to stop saying no to God. The kind of faith we need is a faith that has learned the secret of the mustard seed. It taps into the power and authority that has been given to you and me in and through Christ Jesus. Don't let Satan make you that safe Christian that he never has to mess with. That's just over here. I think I'm following God. I'm checking boxes off. Cross over to doing the work that God has for you and for this church. You see, Jesus talks about this kind of growing, dynamic faith in Matthew 17. Let's read it. Starting in verse 14. And when they had come to the multitude, a man came to him and kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he's an epileptic and suffers severely. We know from other stories that he was demon-possessed. For he often falls into the fire and into the water. This demon was trying to hurt him. So I brought him to your disciples, but they could not 
cure him. Whoa, 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 wait, wait. Okay, this is chapter 17. Let's go back to chapter 10. Jesus gives his disciples authority and power, and they're casting out demons right and left. You know, demons, you know, it's crazy. They are living out the kingdom. They're healing the sick, casting out demons, releasing the captives, breaking chains and strongholds that the devil has made in people's lives. And then, fast forward, and now this has happened. What? What's going on? And I love Jesus. You know, we often think Jesus is buddy-buddy, meek and mild, which he is. But those are powerful statements, actually. But he says this, and then Jesus answered and said, Oh, faithless, and actually it's not faithless, it's unbelieving. Oh, unbelieving and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him here to me. I want to stop there for a second. You see, the chapter before this is called the Transfiguration. Peter, James, and John go up with Jesus, and Jesus is transfigured with Moses and Elijah with him. It's this spiritual high, and he comes down the mountain to face this. And it kind of pictures how Moses probably felt. He's up on the mountain, God speaking, doing amazing things, giving the Ten Commandments, and he comes down, and the children of Israel have made a, a golden calf and are worshiping it. What? You just heard the voice of God. But that's how our lives are a lot, too. The mountaintops, and then boom. And I think that's why Jesus is just, oh, you're missing it. You're missing it. It's right in front of you. Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him. And the child was cured from that very hour. I want you to catch this. I love this part. The disciples are so much like us. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately. Uh, why couldn't we do that? You know, we're over here in chapter 10. They probably didn't say chapter 10 because there wasn't a Bible like that. But we're casting out demons. What is wrong? And Jesus said to them, Because you have so little faith. For assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith as small, as little as a mustard seed, I'm going to stop there. Uh, Jesus, do you realize you just kind of, okay, you said that we have this small faith, and now you're saying we can't do anything, and now you're saying, but if we have a small faith like a mustard seed, what are you talking about? We did have a small faith, right? But he goes on, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Catch this next verse because it's key to where we're going this morning. However, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. You see, the disciples came to this point. They had all this confidence. We're going to cast out that demon. It doesn't happen. And then they go back to where most of us are. It can't be done. Nope. And so the father goes to Jesus. But Jesus was ready. Where are you at? Where are you at? When life gets tough and squeezes on you, do you give up? No mas? I can't do it anymore? You see, they had a stalled, stunted, static faith. 
And again, let's call it what it was, unbelief. The flicker of light went away. It's too difficult. It can't be done. But here's the deal. Jesus said if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, nothing will be impossible. So what does that mean? See, we often misrepresent or misinterpret the mustard seed. But here it is. It's a kingdom principle. Mustard seed faith is this, a faith that is growing. It's a faith that when the pressures of life come down, you only grow more passionate. I may lose this fight, but in the name of Jesus, I'm going down. They may throw me in the fire, like Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, but we will never bow down. It doesn't give up. It says no matter what the outcome is, I will trust in you. It keeps growing in its faith. You see, the principle of the mustard seed is not that it's little. No. The principle is that it's little and does what? It grows. The other day, um, Austin, he's going to kill me because I just singled him out. I won't make you stand. But it's really cool. My, my son, Jason, he got him a tool set. And let me tell you, this kid, since he's had that tool set, it's like an idol. Like, I'm like, you know, get rid of it. You know, but he loves this thing. He loves it. It's got all these drills and stuff that make noise, and it's out in our garage, and he just always wants to go out there, and he's playing. But I'm telling you, the first day we got it, he got a chainsaw out of it. And this is crazy. He gets this chainsaw, and he's like, with the most serious face, he's like, I go cut down a tree. And he's like, and he's going up to the base of the tree, and he's like, why not, why not work? What happened? And he gave up. See, Jesus is saying a true faith that grows, pretend that chainsaws can grow, okay? It grows into this. I won't turn it on. Brian Lake had a good scheme. He was going to bust out of there and like, we're like, dude, we will get sued. And people, you know, we're like, we can't do that. You can still do it. You want to? We're going to do like the juggling chainsaws. Any volunteers? This is what Jesus is talking about. When they can't cast out the demon, it grows so that it can do all things. Does your faith grow? Or do you just carry this around all the time? That's the principle of the mustard seed. If you had faith illustrated by the mustard seed, would you start out small? But your faith would do what? Would it grow and increase? Or would it do what their faith did? Would it die? Again, let's call it what it is, unbelief. Or would it grow? See, what is the primary factor that grows our faith? Let me ask you, let me put it a little differently. Does anybody lift weights? Because clearly, I don't. So... (laughs) You don't have to raise your hand. You know you're buff. What's the deal? What, if, if you were just carrying around that, the um, pole. <laughs> See, this is where I'm going to embarrass myself. The, the pole that you do this. But you put the weights on. You know what I'm talking about. What is, how do you grow muscle? You put more weight on. 
What does the weight do? It causes resistance. What does resistance do? It builds more muscle. Faith is the same way. What do you do when you encounter resistance like the disciples did or in your marriage or with your children? What do you do? Does it grow or do you give up? That's the principle of it. You see, the key is this. In Matthew 10, 31, 32, Jesus again talks about the mustard seed, but this time he's talking about the kingdom. But this is just proving this idea of the mustard seed. And this is actually Matthew 13. I put the wrong thing on there. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all your seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants. It becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and perch in its branches. What's amazing is how small it starts off and how big it gets. That is what faith is like. Faith and the kingdom of heaven are intimately connected. Remember, we're doing kingdom work here. That's what God's called us to. And that's what they were doing. Anytime there's two kingdoms colliding, there will be resistance. Remember we talked about resistance? See, Jesus introduced the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, as this dynamic force that was not only present now, but also in the future. But what is that kingdom? What happens when that kingdom comes in contact with Satan's kingdom? One kingdom, you guys were singing, Sing to the King, his empire that brings joy and salvation, meets another empire that brings darkness and slavery. What's going to happen? Resistance. Resistance. And that's why, well, look at this first, the mustard seed, because Jesus talked about all these, the tree and the bush, and how little the seed is, and those pods have thousands of seeds in them. Maybe not thousands, but hundreds of seeds. But Matthew 17 says, however, Jesus says, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. They are meeting resistance. And here's the kingdom principle in this. Some kingdom work is harder than other kingdom work. If you're expecting it just to drop out of heaven into your hands, that is not how kingdom work is. It requires more of a fight on our part to expand Jesus' kingdom. That's what Jesus is saying when this kind comes out by prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting are weapons that we have. See, the disciples' hearts weren't ready. You know, Jesus, when he picked his disciples, Luke says he went up on a mountain and all night he prayed and came down. And out of that big crowd, he chose the twelve. Jesus prepared his heart for kingdom work with prayer and fasting. He was ready for the attack and the resistance. But the disciples weren't. They weren't doing the things that made it easier. You see, it requires more of a fight on our part to expand and advance Jesus' kingdom. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail. Jesus won the victory on the cross and we're here to enforce his victory at Calvary. But it will be contested and resisted by the devil, the adversary who only wants to keep people in darkness, in chains and slavery, to steal, kill, and destroy marriages and families and nations and churches. You see, if their faith 
was met with resistance, you can be sure yours will too. The dreams God has given you, your business, the dreams of TBA, your family, your health, Satan will challenge what he doesn't want to give up. But here's the secret. He doesn't own it anymore. Jesus got it back on the cross in his resurrection. And Hades will not conquer it. He snatched away the keys to death and hell. I want to read this. I thought this was a really cool quote. The mustard plant is dangerous even when domesticated in the garden and is deadly when growing wild in the grain fields. The point, in other words, is not just the mustard plant starts as a proverbial small seed and grows three or four, five feet times in its height. Catch this. It is that it tends to take over where it is not wanted, that it tends to get out of control, where they are not particularly desired. And that, said Jesus, is what the kingdom of God was like. Like that pungent shrub with a dangerous takeover properties. Is TBA a dangerous takeover property kind of church? Taking it away from Satan? Because that's what the kingdom of heaven is supposed to be like. That's what it's supposed to be like. You see, a growing faith is the same way. A growing faith has dangerous takeover properties. Your faith is the key to kingdom expansion. Is that the kind of faith you have? A dangerous faith? A faith that goes where it's not wanted? A faith that meets resistance by the devil? Remember Jesus said, I came to destroy the work of the devil. Is that your kind of faith? To destroy the work of the devil? You see, that little faith, that small faith that Jesus talked about dies. It expects everything to drop in its lap. But mustard faith says, or mustard seed faith says, I'm in a fight, and I have power and authority over the enemy. When you're met with resistance to give up, when you don't see it happen, do you despair? When God has called you to ask, seek, and knock, and to keep doing that, when the answer is no from the world, what do you do? Do you get on your knees and pray that that door will open because God said it would? Or do you have a faith that dies small? Or do you have a faith that doesn't die small, but gets larger and larger and grows and is persistent? Do you use the weapons he gave us of prayer and fasting? And there's so many more. And we'll talk a little bit about prayer. But in 2 Corinthians it says this, because we've been talking about fighting and taking over things. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. Okay, stop right there. This is why the enemy is resisting. He's built these fortresses, and fortresses are built so they can't be taken over. But we have power and authority to crush the fortresses of the enemy. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we're taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. What keeps people captive? I hate to say this, but sometimes it's you and I. Because we've lost the focus of our mission to destroy the work of the devil. But you see, there's another principle at work in that scripture that we read. When Jesus says moving mountains, 
it would have been very familiar to the ears of his listeners. It was a very familiar idiom in that language, in, in that day and time. When they heard that, they would have been thinking this. You see, back then, a rabbi, a teacher, this great person of scripture that knew the word, that knew the scripture, the Jews said could move mountains. That person was a mover of mountains, an uprooter, a pulverizer of mountains. These great teachers knew the word of God so well that the people knew to come to them because they would remove mountains of difficulty in their lives. Problems, hard tasks. They would go to the rabbi. This is a revolutionary thing that Jesus is saying. He's saying, you don't need to go to a rabbi when you have my words living in you. You will move mountains. When my word is living in you, you will move mountains. Nothing is impossible for you. Nothing will be impossible for you. You know, you're smelly fishermen, you're a prostitute, common folk. You, when you let God's living word live in you, will move mountains and nothing will be impossible for you. You see, the word of God is connected to the weapons of God. Remember in Ephesians it says, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. When you spend time at Jesus' feet, learning his word, when the same Holy Spirit that breathed into the written word that moved those men and women to write. The same Holy Spirit that did that, that now lives in you, when those things come together, when you spend time at his feet, watch out. You can remove mountains of difficulty in the name of Jesus. You take on Jesus' mission to save lives. That's why Jesus could say this in John 15, 5 through 7. I am divine, you are the branches. When you're joined with me and I with you, the relation intimate and organic, the harvest is sure to be abundant. Separated, you can't produce a thing. Anyone who separates from me is dead wood, gathered up and thrown on the bonfire, kind of like Brian Legg's bonfire last night. This is what I want you to get. But if you make yourselves at home with me and my words are at home in you, you can be sure that whatever you ask will be listened to and acted upon. You see, we oftentimes read this verse, and God's like a genie in the bottle. No. When there's the intimacy to know his word and sit at his feet, you will know what to ask for according to his will, because the word of God reveals the will of God. The word of God reveals the will of God. The word of God reveals the will of God. It expands our understanding. Prayer that does the impossible does not increase without growth in our understanding of the word. Do you sit at the feet of Jesus so that his power and authority are building up in you so that you'll know what to pray for because his word reveals his will in a general redemptive sense, but also specifically to you. It may not always be what you want to hear, but it will be exactly what it needs to be. Are his words at home in you? So when you ask, it is acted upon. We often don't use the weapons because they seem passive. We don't persist, realizing lives are at stake 
eternal destinies. People are going to hell. But these are the weapons that intercede on the behalf of others, that move mountains in your own life and those around you, that intervene the kingdom of God into people's circumstances, that fulfill the dreams and visions God has given you in this church. You see, intercession, this form of prayer, is an amazing Hebrew verb. Let's take a look at it. Pagha. And there's three different ideas, but they're all active and powerful. And I'll just take you quickly, because I really want to focus on the last one. We just don't have time. But the first one, to light upon chance, intervene in a given scenario. And this is when Jacob was running from Esau. He's running for his life. And he meets with God. God intervenes. Do you intervene into people's lives? You see, in both the Greek and the Hebrew, it says to light upon by chance. But God knows all things. It's not really by chance. But you run into people all the time that you'd say, oh, it was by chance. No, those are God-given appointments. Do you intervene in those appointments to fall upon? And this is Saul's, one of his warriors. At the end of his life, Saul says, go, And it's basically, go charge this big army, and he dies. Are we willing to do the orders that our king gives us? And the third one I love, reaching to assign places to possess what God has given at prescribed points. Sum it up, boundaries. Taking back boundaries. Expanding boundaries. See, prayer is active and powerful. Intercession is the prayer that expands and takes back and sets boundaries. It intervenes in human affairs. It expands God's kingdom. And Joshua said this, he and Caleb were the only ones that had faith. Let us go up at once and possess it, for we will be able to overcome it. You see, this is what our faith does in reclaiming what rightfully belongs to the Lord. The kingdom of God advances through the faith of his sons and daughters, We are his plan. You are his plan. We're dealing with boundaries of God's inheritance, people that he loves for individuals, families, and nations. And we're saying to the kingdom of this world, Satan's kingdom, you have kept people in darkness and slavery, and we're taking it back in the name of Jesus. If you don't have faith, the kingdom won't expand. Let me say that again. Let these just resonate in you. If you don't have faith, the kingdom won't expand. You are the plan. When you say no and live in fear, your faith is stunted and people die. Satan wants to kill, steal, and destroy. And some of you are experiencing that right now or know someone that is. Satan has overstepped his boundaries with you, with your kids, with your marriage, with your job, with your health. Some of you are wrapped up in drugs and pornography. You are here to save lives, set boundaries and conquer. But we let Satan have what is not his. And in Jesus' name, we have overcome. But we live live not in victory, but as slaves. Some of you are weary and your faith has stalled. You're not using those powerful weapons of prayer. And you're not waiting on the Lord. You know, there's three different Hebrew words for waiting, and one of them 
is what we're going to focus on, but the other two are what we normally think of waiting. Waiting is this passive, I sit here, I listen quietly. That's not the waiting we're going to talk about. It says this in Isaiah 40, because we all want to give up, right, at times? He gives strength to the weary, and to him who lacks might, he increases power. Though youths grow weary and tired, and vigorous young men stumble badly, yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. You see that word wait in there? It's not the passive words for just sit back, let it all happen, it might turn out good. No. The root means twisting or winding a strand of cord, a rope around something. It is used to signify depending on and ordering activities around a future event. That sounds like faith. And some people who are transcribing it put, instead of wait, they'll put hope or trust because they're trying to get the power of what this word means. But it's faith. It is used to signify depending on and ordering activities around a future event. And it's, if you've seen some Jews in Israel and they wrap around these cords around them and they do it tight. But what this is talking about when we wait, we're wrapping around his promises. We're wrapping around what we know about his character. We're wrapping around his word around us and tightening it. And we're going forward like it's going to happen because he said it would if he's called us to it. That's waiting on the Lord. And John 16, 24 says, Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask, and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. There's a story I want to quickly read to you. It's about a king named Hezekiah. He was an awesome king, not perfect, but this guy named Sennacherib comes against Israel. And Sennacherib is like a military genius. He's already taken over a bunch of kingdoms and burned their, their gods, idols. And he comes, and in the Hebrew tongue, so all the people could hear, he does all these threats and fear-based things. And he says, no, the God of Israel is actually with me. Don't listen to Hezekiah. It kind of sounds like Satan. But what's the first thing Hezekiah does? He prays. He says this, It is true, O Lord, that the Assyrian kings have laid waste to all these people and their lands. They have thrown their gods into the fire and destroyed them. For they were not gods, but only wood and stone fashioned by human hands. Now this is what I want you to catch. Now, O Lord, our God, deliver us from his hand, so that all kingdoms on earth may know that you alone are Lord our God. Hezekiah is worried about his God's name. See, Israel was a light unto the nations. Why those other gods get burnt? This is the God of Israel, the true living God. Lord, don't let your name be slandered. Show the world that you are almighty God. I love how Hezekiah has the heart of his father's name at interest. So Isaiah sends a message. The prophet sends a message to him. It says, I love this, catch this. Because you have prayed... You know, it's interesting. God should have been concerned about his name, but he's more concerned about his sons and daughters praying. Because you have prayed. And what's awesome is this prophecy comes through. And it, only does, it doesn't just pertain to that time, but it pertains to the end time when the Jews that haven't already will accept Messiah. Because of one man's prayer, future events are changed. 
and awesome things will happen. He is waiting for his sons and daughters to pray. How many of you guys have seen I Am Second? Have seen any of those short videos? They're awesome. Go to Google, not now, but go I Am Second and look up Scott Hamilton. He's, he's the one doing all the announcing and the stuff on the figure skating. 80s, you know, he did the backflip and all that stuff back in the 80s. I was listening to I Am Second, and I Am Second is this. It's a video of people that are in the world that are believers, that Jesus is first and I Am Second. And Scott Hamilton, he talks about all this different medical stuff he went through. He talks about a tumor in his head, and like the third time he goes through this medical thing, and he's praying, and he's in despair, and he's just thanking God, you know, that I got to live here. Thank you that I got to have a child. Thank you that I have an amazing wife. And his wife walks by and stops. He says, what are you praying for? And he's like, oh, I'm just thanking God that I, I had a good life. And, you know, and she says, well, wait, you need to ask our God that you'll recover. You need to ask our God. Don't just thank him and, and live in despair. Ask him. See, God, our Father, your Abba, Daddy, Father is waiting for you to ask in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus and he began to ask with confidence. He's waiting for you to ask. He's waiting for you to ask. Ask in the name of Jesus. In just a second, the lights are going to be lower. I want to ask the band to come up. We're going to do a couple things. If you can bring the lights down and band, you can come up. First, first thing we're going to do is there's going to be a song, and you can just remain seated I just want you to be in prayer. What is it for you, your marriage, your family, your children, or that person at work? What do you need prayer to ask in the name of Jesus? To truly ask, not a little little ask, but a bold, I can come boldly into the presence of my king and ask. What does it need to be for you? Don't have fear. Ask big. But we have packages of mustard seeds up here. And I want you to pray in a a second when the band starts playing. You don't need to get up and try to sing. But when you're all ready, come up here. And I want everybody to come up here to grab a packet and just kneel here and pray. Let God put on your heart those things that you need to ask in the name of Jesus. And when you go back, I want you to write that on that envelope. Does that make sense? And the next thing, I want to ask the prayer team to come up, and you can start playing. As we continue to worship, there's some of you today that you're hearing this message, but you don't even belong to your daddy yet. You don't even realize that he is your daddy, and he's calling you home today. Jesus said when you believe in him, you pass over from death to life. In the Greek, it's right now when you believe in him. He died on the cross for your sins. He suffered and took your penalty so that your daddy father could have you. He loves you that much. And today, you need to give your life to Christ. And prayer team, while you come up, I'll ask the pastors to come over here. If there's anybody today that you need to give your life to Jesus, if you want to stand up, and you guys can stand right over here, I want you to come to Brian or Dave and give your life to Jesus. Give your life to Jesus today. He's calling you. And for other you, other of you, the dream has died. 
you realize I'm that person over here. I'm weary. I want to give up. I don't want to, to have unbelief. I want to be over there. Wait on him. Wait on him. He loves you. I love it when Peter is being sifted, when he denies Jesus. What does Jesus say to him? I prayed for your faith that when you've come back, come back now. Come back to him. When you're ready, I want you to come up here and you can bow anywhere. You can pray whatever God's put on your heart. Maybe you just need to spend a little time with him. This is open for you. Prayer team, please come up.